All right, guys, good morning. If we can, let's open up our Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 15. If you guys grab one of the church Bibles, it is page 974, 974. Once again, Galatians chapter 5, verses 1 through 15. If you guys are new with us, my name is Kenson. I have the honor of serving as a pastor here at Park, specifically our Bridgeport location. So glad to be with all of you. Uh, and as you guys are turning there, I just wanted to let you guys know that this past Wednesday, uh, I went to Target at 5 p.m. for their uh, doorbusters. A uh, bad idea. Don't ever do that to yourself. That is all. I am done. Okay, so uh, Galatians 5, verses 1 through 15. Let me read the verses, and then we're going to jump right in, okay? So Galatians 5, verse 1, page 974. The Apostle Paul starts off with this. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. <clears throat> for through spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Verse 7, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. For you who were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. This is the word of God. You know, last weekend I had an opportunity to be part of a wedding in Indiana around South Bend, which is about a two-hour drive away from here. And sitting in a car for that long, you get to see a lot of bad and dangerous driving. And much of it is caused by drivers looking at their phones, they're missing their lights, swerving to the left and right, changing lanes without looking at their blind spots. There were dozens of times my wife and I were just like, whoa, whoa, that, 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 that was really, really close there, really close. Now, to be fair, I am no angel either. Uh, I've gotten to a lot of close calls where it's gotten to a point where my oldest son has become my unwanted accountability partner. Dad, get off the phone. You're going to kill us here. Is it any wonder that when you drive on the highway, we see signs like this uh, on the highway here, all these creative ways to try to scare us straight. Now, the reason I'm sharing this with you is because distractions can be fatal. Distractions can be fatal. You know, today we continue in our sermon series in Galatians, and Paul expresses this very concern. He says it in verse 7, you were running well. Who hindered, who distracted you from obeying the truth? Now, to catch you up on what's going on here, Paul's writing this letter to churches that he's planted in the region of Galatia. And these churches are off to a good start. They love Jesus. They're growing in the spirit. But then these false teachers called Judaizers come in and they try to fix them by saying, like, you know what? Hey, 
this gospel of grace, this message, it's not enough. You non-Jewish believers, you need, if you want to be more accepted by God, you also need works. You also need circumcision. You also need to be culturally Jewish. You need to do more and more and more. And once you do all these things, then you'll be fully accepted by God. This works-based salvation is called legalism. It's trusting in our own effort to make us right before God. So Paul writes this letter to confront and correct this false teaching. And if there was one word that could summarize all of the letter of Galatians, it might be here in verse 1, where Paul says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Now, what is this freedom that we're to stand firm in? Well, first off, it's a freedom from, freedom from the slavery of sin, freedom from the bondage of our past, freedom from the past of our guilt and shame, freedom from the legalistic demands of the law. As Christ followers, we have been freed from these things, but we've also been freed for something. We've been freed for a meaningful and fulfilling life. Freed for a life of knowing and loving God as our Father. Freed for a life that means more than just living for myself. And this is a freedom that is not earned, but it's a gift from God. Verse 1, for freedom Christ has, not me, Christ has set us free. Our freedom is a blood-bought gift from Christ. This is the good news of grace. Amen? Amen. Now, here's the problem, and we've seen this over and over again in the churches in Galatia here and with us. They are being distracted from this freedom. You were running so well. Who did you allow to hinder you? Who did you allow to distract you? What are the voices that you have allowed to distract you from the gospel? Friends, let me ask you, who have you allowed to hinder you? in your freedom in Christ. You know, maybe for some of us here, it might be from prominent, important, achieved, successful people. You know, for, you know recently the rapper Snoop Dogg just got a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, okay? Let me show it to you here, okay? Now, what has gotten a lot of attention here and celebration is how he ended his acceptance speech. He ended it by thanking himself, okay? Let me read it to you here. Last but not least, I want to thank me for believing in me. I want to thank me for doing all this hard work. I want to thank me for having no days off. I want to thank me for just being me at all times. Snoop Dogg, you a bad, you know, you know, you know aren't you guys, you're at church today, right? You got to hear from Snoop Dogg. Now, can I confess, when I hear and see stuff like this, I get so excited because I'm like, yes, I want to prove myself. I want to show that I can grind harder than anyone else. I can work harder than anyone else. I want to trust in my own effort. I want to prove my worth. That what drives me is when I see their success. What drives me is when I see their fame. And personally speaking, if I can be vulnerable, what drives me is when I see the size of their ministry. When I see the size of their church. That's what drives me. I know better, but yet I let these voices bring me under slavery again. To rest not in Christ's effort, but in my own effort. Now, now, maybe for some of us here, what distracts us isn't so much the outside voices, but maybe it's the inside voice. That you know in your head, man, I am free in Christ. I have read these verses over and over again. But yet your heart is filled with so much doubt. Man, you know, I've done some really bad things that no one knows about. 
There are things I did even after becoming a Christian that I should have known better. And you start to wonder, am I really good enough? Did I really do enough? Can I really be forgiven? These voices also enslave us because instead of running out of Christ's victory, you've already convinced yourself that you've been defeated. Friends, are you distracted? Are you hindered from your freedom in Christ? You know, with our time here today, I want to give you guys two insights from our verses about our freedom in Christ. And the first one is this, standing firm in your freedom. And second, how to use your freedom. So first, standing firm in your freedom. And second, how to use your freedom. So first, standing firm in your freedom. Verse 1, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore. Now, the word stand firm is a military term, and it's a picture of a soldier that is alert, that's always looking out for the enemy, that's very diligent. And what Paul is saying to us here is the very same thing, that if you want to stay free in Christ, you can't be carefree, you can't be careless here. You've got to be diligent. You've got to keep your eyes out on where the enemy is and where he's working, and keep your eyes on God's grace over and over again. Now, the reason this is important to keep in mind is because when the enemy attacks, when false teaching comes, it's not going to come and wear a big t-shirt that says, here it is, the bad guy. That's not going to happen. They're not going to blow the trumpet and say, here comes the attack. No. Instead, they're going to come like wolves dressed in sheep's clothing, demons masquerading as an angel of light. Very few of us in this room here will be dragged into the darkness, but many of us might be enticed to go into it. And that's what we see here with the Judaizers because these Judaizers, you have to remember this, they are right now giving a full-out rejection of Jesus and the gospel of grace. They are not rejecting it full-out. That would be easy to catch. They're not doing that. Instead, what they're doing is they're asking for a small compromise that they see the Gentile believers, the non-Jewish believers, and saying, you don't need to obey all of the law. How about just some of it? For example, like circumcision. And in their mind, it's all good because at the end of the day, Paul, you still get to keep Jesus and we get to keep our Jewishness. Paul says here, no way, absolutely no way, this is not possible. And he gives us two warnings to why this is a bad idea. First, he tells us to embrace any of this compromise is to contaminate the gospel. And secondly, to embrace any compromise is to bring condemnation upon yourself. So first is this. He says to embrace any compromise is to contaminate the gospel. Verse 9, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Now, I'm not a baker, but I am a microwave guy. But from what I understand is that you only need a little bit of yeast to change the entire composition of the bread. And in the same way, Paul is saying that if we allow even a little bit of legalism sprinkled into the gospel, it contaminates the whole entire thing. Or here's another way to look at it. Imagine that you have a pure glass of water taken from the snow-capped mountains of Alaska. It's pure, it's clean, it's unpolluted. And then you decide to drop a little bit of bleach in there or a little bit of cyanide in the water. And in your mind, you're like, you know, what's the big deal? It's still mostly water. It's, it's still all good. No, it's no longer pure. You cannot call it pure. It's been contaminated. And how many of you guys would go ahead, go into our children's ministry and say, hey, kids, go ahead and drink this water? No way, right? In the same way, to embrace even a little bit of workspace salvation is to contaminate the purity of the gospel. 
Now, let me just say here, I am not, so when I say this, when I talk about the period of the gospel, I'm not saying that the gospel is weak or easily corruptible. The gospel is perfect. It's holy. It's eternal. It's the power of God for salvation. The concern here is not that the gospel can be weakened. The concern is this. We can be weakened if we choose to drink this junk. That's what's going to happen. That if we drink this poison, it will wreak havoc on our souls. If we allow a little bit of legalism in our lives, it will destroy us. If we allow a little bit of legalism in the church, it will split this church up. This is why Paul is so fierce and passionate. He looks to these Judaizers and says, if you guys really believe in a works-based salvation, believe in legalism, just take it all the way and cut the whole thing off if that's what you really believe. Just go ahead and do that. We have to be fierce about the gospel because to even sprinkle a little bit of legalism is to contaminate the whole thing. And if I can just encourage you guys, we must be men and women of the word because that's the only way you can know the difference between poison and spiritual food and nourishment. That's what needs to happen. Here's the second thing Paul says. Not only does it say compromise leads to contamination, but then he ramps it up and says that not only does it lead to contamination, it also can lead to condemnation. Uh, verse 3 and 4. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. Verse 4. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. When we compromise to any degree, even if it's just something like circumcision, Paul is saying you are cutting off more than you know. You're cutting yourself off from Christ. Now, when you read something like this, it almost sounds like Paul is saying that you can lose your salvation. Now, to be clear here, Paul is not saying that we can lose our salvation because we must, re must remember from the very first book of Genesis to the end in Revelation, one message is always clear. Salvation has nothing to do with us. That God is the one who sees us, who calls us, who redeems us, who justifies us, who adopts us, who transforms us, who secures us. In John chapter 10, it says that, that he is the shepherd and we are his sheep in his hand and no one can snatch us out of his hands. So the question we should be asking is never if I can lose my salvation, if I've been genuinely transformed and changed. The question is can God lose my salvation? And the answer is nope, never, nada. It is biblically impossible to lose our salvation so, this, so the issue with verses like this is not like if we can lose our salvation. This is the issue we're facing here. Were we saved to begin with? Were we saved to begin with? Paul says in verse 6, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. What are you counting on? What are you counting on to save you? What are you counting on to make you acceptable before God? Is it Christ and Christ alone? Or do you see yourself trusting and holding more tightly to your performance, to your works, to your reputation, to your achievements, to that checklist of yours? That do you see yourself day after day after day trusting in these things, growing in trust in these things? What you need to realize here is that that gives no proof of a redeemed life that has been set free Instead, it points to a life that is condemned and in bondage. Now, some of you here today, you feel this condemnation 
Because you know why? That's all legalism does is that it makes you feel condemned because legalism says to you, you are not loved as you are. So you better make yourself lovable. You better make yourself worthy of love so you better get to work here. But here's the problem. We hear this, so we try to perform. We try to be more holy. We try to follow all the rules, but we fail over and over again. So you keep hearing those voices. Did I do enough? Am I good enough? Can God really love me? Friends, there's a word of hope for you here. Look at verse 5 here. It says, for through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Paul says here that our full and perfect righteousness lies in the future. Now, this is good news in two ways. First is this, is that first we can never say that we're beyond hope because God is not yet done with us. That just because that right now you're in the valley of life does not mean that he's not at work. Some of the most powerful and transformational moments of, of my life was not when I was standing on top of the hill and celebrating and screaming as good as those moments were. But the most powerful moments of transformation was when I was on my knees, broken and hungry for him. You are not beyond hope. And here's the second reason for good news. is because when God is looking at us, he's not looking for us to be sinless. That will come when we die or when he returns again. That's called glorification. That's when it will finally happen. He's not looking for us to be sinless. But what he is looking for is for us to fight against sin. When Paul says that we are to eagerly wait, it means that we long for his righteousness. We long for this righteousness. And by default, what this means here is that we're not content with sin. We want to be holy like he's holy. So we battle, we struggle, and sometimes we experience victory and sometimes we fail. But then we confess, we experience forgiveness and mercy, and we get back at it again. We continue to fight, we continue to struggle, we continue to fight some more because we love his holiness. This is what it means to stand firm. It's not to trust more in ourselves. It's to trust more in Christ. Do you guys see? Just because you struggle does not mean that you're lost and not loved by him. If you are his, his grace is still at work to free you. Let me show you what Tim Keller says about this. Tim Keller, pastor in New York, says this. God sees us as we are, loves us as we are, and accepts us as we are. But by his grace, he does not leave us as we are. Amen. Amen. Now, if I can give you guys a quick application here, a way that we can stand firm here is by preaching the gospel to ourselves every single day. Now, if you guys are anything like me, it's so easy for us to drive and, and to swerve and to go left and right in our faith here that just like a car, our alignment is kind of off-center here because of the presence of sin in our lives, the presence of sin in this world here, that once we take our hands off the wheel, that it's so easy just to drift, drift back to works, drift back to pride, drift back to legalism, and we just kind of keep drifting back and forth. What we need to do is if we want to get our hands back on the wheel, we do that by preaching the gospel to ourselves every day in every moment. Now, some practical ways that you can do that 
is first off, is by spending time with God every day. We call these quiet times, devotionals, you know, quiet time, you know, quiet moment with God, devotionals, devoting a time for God. Nothing fancy about it, right? But what it all means is that spending that first part of the day reading the Bible, reflecting on what it has to say about your own life and who God is, and then letting God speak to me through that and letting God change to me that the reason I do that is that I want to first hear from God before I allow any other voices to try to distract me from what he wants. You know, a really great devotional book that I've used many times is called New Morning Mercies. Let me show it to you. That this is a gospel-centered daily reading. Now, usually every year I try to switch up the devotional books that I use. This is the only book that I've used two to three years in a row because it's been that good for my soul. So right now it's on Amazon, and I just found out that it's $2 cheaper than yesterday. So get it now, okay? Now, so get one for yourself and get one for Christmas for someone else. And here's another way to stand firm is by committing to being part of a local church and small group. You know, verse 1 says, look at verse 1, For freedom Christ has set me free. No, it doesn't say that. What does it say? For Christ has set us free. And when it says that we are to stand firm, it's in the second person plural. And what this implies is that if we want to stand firm, we can't do it alone. We do it in community. We do it together. That is when we're in community with other godly men and women who see us week in and week out. That's when they can preach the gospel into our lives and we can do the same for them. This is how we stand firm in our freedom. So if this is how we stand firm, here's the second point. How are we to use this freedom? Verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers, only to not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Now, before Paul tells us how to use our freedom, he first makes the statement of how not to use our freedom. He says, don't use it for the flesh. And in Scripture, when flesh is used this way, it always talks about our selfish desires. And what Paul realizes here is that after talking about the amazing sufficiency of God's grace, someone can say and say, like, you know, whoa, Paul, are you saying that God forgives me no matter what? So what that must mean is that I can do anything I want. This is the best Black Friday deal ever. This is awesome. This thinking has become so commonplace in our churches today. that so often we have people coming into our churches who might give God their Sunday morning, but then live the rest of the other six days with no obedience, no affections for Jesus, no submission, no Bible, nothing at all. And to them, it doesn't bother them one bit that they can live into the self-centered living because I'm all good because grace covers all, right? I don't need to change my life. Grace covers all of this. Or some of us were tempted to sin, tempted to look at things online that you shouldn't, tempted to compromise your integrity at work or school, tempted to cheat on your spouse, and you justify it by saying that, you know what, it's, it, it's, it'll be fine because God's grace will always be there. He, he's going to forgive me. So, you know, you know, so I'll do this and then I'll just get right with him later. It, it's it's going to be fine. For Paul, seeing grace as a license to sin is just as bad and dangerous as legalism because you are not honoring grace, you are dishonoring it. You are not loving Jesus, you are using Jesus for your own sinful wants. This kind of freedom that says that I want to do whatever I want is never from the Spirit. It is always from the flesh. 
to truly understand, to understand grace is to know that even though grace is freely given to us, it does not mean that it's cheap. It was bought with the blood of Christ. Grace is not a license to sin. It is a liberation from sin. And this freedom does not negate obedience. On the contrary, this freedom will always show itself through obedience. Verse 13 again. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Now what's interesting here is that the word serve literally means slave. It means slave. Paul is saying, in love, be a slave to one another. And then he continues on in verse 14 by saying that the law can be summarized in this one thing, to love one another. So Paul here is saying this, hey, be a slave and obey the law. You, you sit there and you're like, whoa, is Paul backtracking here? Because, you know, for the last four chapters, he's been warning us about our works and now he's telling us to start working here? You know, is Paul adding to the gospel? Is he obligating us to the law? The answer is no. What makes Paul and these false teachers different is that the false teachers were saying obedience leads to saving faith. Paul is saying obedience flows from saving faith. Verse 5, for through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness, that it's only by faith and not by works do we experience righteousness in this life and in the life to come. You know, Martin Luther, the great reformer, said this. Let me show it to you. We are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. Grace is never opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. A true faith in Christ will always express itself through obedience because as you recognize and understand all that Christ has done for you, you will grow in your adoration for Christ. And a heart that adores Christ does not lead into more of a sinful life. It leads us into more of a holy life. And Paul says here that the way that this is expressed, the way this freedom shows itself in obedience is in love by serving one another. Now, here's the question. Of all the things Paul could say here about how to use our freedom, why does he say to serve others in love? It's simple. It's because Jesus served us in love. Mark chapter 10, verse 45 says this. Let me show it to you. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. That it's on the cross, Jesus freely chose to be a servant of all, to be a slave of all, so that his life might be a ransom for many. That in Philippians chapter 2, it says that Jesus, even though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself into a man and humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. That when it says here that Jesus was God, that he did not grasp it, what it means is that he had every right to lean into his divine privileges and power, that he had every freedom to show off what he could do, but he chose not to. You know, recently, not too long ago, Avengers Infinity War uh, came out a while ago. Now, if you guys have not watched the movie, it's the holiday season. It's a great Christmas movie, so go ahead and watch it, okay? And in the movie here, you have this bad guy, Thanos, okay, who has the power to control the universe with this glove or this gauntlet in his hands, okay? Now, let me just show you a picture of this. Now, I didn't realize this when I first saw it, but by the 10th time that I saw this, I actually noticed this, okay? 
I noticed that when Thanos had the glove in his hand, it didn't always, it didn't mean that the powers are activated. The powers are only activated when he clinched his hands, when he closed his fists. If you guys remember that scene where he's fighting against Iron Man and Doctor Strange and Spider-Man on, on the planet of Titan, they kept like, having his hands open so he couldn't close it, so he couldn't grasp his power. Did you guys realize that Jesus has all the power of the universe in his hands? And when he was beaten, when he was mocked, when he was tortured, when he was killed, he never once closed his hands. He never once clinched for his rights. He left his hands open. Why? It's because in love, he used his freedom to serve us, to save us. This is why Paul says in verse 6, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. That the only thing that counts before God is a faith that works through love because Christ worked to love us. And just like Christ, we take our freedom not as a way to indulge, not as a way to make much of ourselves, not as a way to keep ourselves safe as billions of people don't know Jesus Christ. We take our freedom and we sacrifice it for others because it's in that sacrifice we can show how much we love. You know, in my house right now, we have three kids. And my wife here, she does not have a lot of free time. She has a full-time job. And she also has a full-time job caring for, two, for these young kids. So she has a lot on her plate. And whenever she has time to do whatever she wants, it is very rare. Well, this past Wednesday, she had a two-hour window to do something for herself, anything that she wanted. So I said, girl, I got the kids. Go ahead and knock yourself out. Do anything you want. Massage, go shopping, just read a book, anything you want. Get out of the house. It's, it's, it's all yours. Well, two hours come and go, and she comes home, and she walks in through the door, and the first thing I see in her hands is on one hand, she has a cup of coffee for me, and then on the other hand, she has lunch from Portillo's that she waited 30 minutes in line for. Have you guys been to Portillo's in the South Loop? It is nuts, okay? So she waited 30 minutes for this. And I was so impressed because my wife has so little freedom every week to do whatever she wanted to do. But on that morning, she chose to use her freedom to show me and our kids how special we are to her. Do you guys see? Christ sacrificed his freedom to show every single one of you how special you are to him. That's what he did. Friends, we've been set free not to indulge, but we've been set free so that we can sacrifice to serve and to love just like our Savior. Amen? Amen. Let me just close with this quick application. So what's the application here? Our freedom must be used to serve one another. Now, this is an important principle to keep in mind because if I can say this, a lot of our Christian walk is in the gray. Now, what I mean by that is that the Bible isn't always going to speak to every single situation, to every minute detail of what to do. So, for example, you get a Christmas bonus, now, you tithe it, which I think is biblical, and you save some of it, which I think is biblical, but then you have the rest. What are you to do with that? There is freedom in that. Do I buy a nice toy? Do I give it to the poor? Or another example is that the Bible is clear that we shouldn't have sex outside of marriage, but what about kissing? What about holding hands? 
gray areas, right? Freedom in that. Or are you going to host a Christmas party, you know, in a few weeks? Should you or should you not serve alcohol? Now, biblically, it's not wrong to drink alcohol. It is your house. You can serve anything you want. That's the freedom that you have, right? Do you guys see? A lot of the Christian walk is in the gray. We have freedom in this. And what are we to do? Paul says, use that freedom to love and to serve others. So with that Christmas bonus, before we're too quick to use it to love ourselves, maybe the first question we should be asking is how do I use it to first love others? Then when it comes to your boyfriend or girlfriend, maybe the first thing you need to ask is what boundaries do we need to honor to be able to show my love for their purity? Or that when it comes to alcohol, to ask, is anyone coming to this party who might be struggling with this? Is there a young believer who might not be mature enough to process this? What is the most loving thing that I can do right now for those who are coming? Let me just say this. Spiritual immaturity will always say, my freedom is always about me. Spiritual maturity will always say, my freedom will always be used to love and to serve other people. You know, let me just close with one more movie illustration, okay? Of the Chariots of Fire. And it's in the Chariots of Fire you have Eric Little who says that famous line that when I run, I feel his pleasure. You know, I pray that we in this room here, that we would feel God's pleasure as we run in the freedom we have in the gospel. That we will feel the pleasure of not being guilty, of overcoming the grip of sin, of not being enslaved to legalism. That we would feel the pleasure of living by the Spirit. That we would feel the pleasure of having access to God and being accepted by God. That we would feel a pleasure of having a secure future with our God. That we would feel the pleasure of loving and serving one another and our neighbors as ourselves. Church, you are free to run. Don't let anyone hinder you. Amen? Amen. Let's, let's bow our heads and pray. Father God, we thank you that as we head into the Christmas season, that we're reminded again that Jesus was Emmanuel, that he dwelt with us, that he became like us, lived a life that we can never live, died the death that we deserved. Father, we thank you that it's in your Son. We see the limits that he puts on himself. We see how he holds all the power of the universe back and stays on that cross to show how special we are to him. Father, we pray that you would help us as a church to do the same. That God, that we would not use our freedom in Christ to abuse you, to take advantage of you, but that, Father, we would use it to make much of you, to love others as we've been loved by you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.